0: that's arthur's first published piece right yes arthur's first he's published now
1: i thought arthur's been published before in the agenda yours in scoops magazine yes, yes. Well, yeah exactly. but th- this is this is
2: a white publication
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is legitimate
2: <laughs> this wow. one's real this, they, they actually can't they count this they start this at one
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: you're right i have
1: <laughs> wow
0: Liars. Some people need to watch what they say
3: Welcome to the B-Side Scoop Isaac Jahan Arthur The music's not
2: this is the music snobs podcast my name is arthur your lead voice and i'm joined as i always am with my co-hosts scoop isaac and jahan it is summertime which means it's sade time So we long overdue with this one. So let's talk about Sade. The band Sade has six platinum albums, four Grammys, and have sold 60 million records worldwide. Now, how are they able to stay relevant after 30 years without having to succumb to pop antidotes? We're looking for the secret sauce. Right. The secret M- sauce of Sade.
4: I think, you just, I think you just said it. The, the fact that they haven't put out that much product they you know they've they've not they've got like 40 songs in their catalog that's what i'm saying not they counting the live stuff right they haven't overdone it
0: now i know why d'angelo is famous no there's <laughs> a difference there's that, a big difference there's a huge difference like, yeah. now i understand
4: now, a don't huge put out anything
0: <laughs> just keep product don't drop anything and you remain relevant, famous. relevant. Right. yeah yeah not only famous i think john to john's point in coming up with this topic the important point is relevant Relevant, not just fame is relevant
1: because it should work the other way right it should work I mean firstly let me shout out Sade London (laughs) London great 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 band probably the best band to ever come out of London and I guess
0: Jay our audience is sophisticated to know that Sade is a band and not you know not just one human being so I had to correct somebody the other day well that's why I put it in that that copy you have to correct
1: people in London I mean being real you have to correct people in London because She's I was gonna say she's ubiquitous. They aren't ubiquitous, that's the whole point of the topic, but she's the you know, she's the image. She's the face of Sade, literally and figuratively mm-hmm. and the name. And it's have
4: to be named, right. That's that's the thing that kind of confuses people.
0: Did she take on that name after the band was formed? No oh, no, her name
1: her, um, Helen Folasade Yadu. Okay. Her birth name is Nigerian is, name.
4: Now now they have performed a sweet back though, so I think that needs to be clear too. So that's Paul Dan So it's, it's on only Bay's it's
0: Stuart only Sade when Sade is there.
1: <laughs> when Sade is there, they the Sade, band yeah. is not Sade unless right. Sade is there. Right, that's what I'm saying. So, but in well, the band is not Sade unless all members of the band are in the band. Who's on first? <laughs> <laughs> What's the password? The password is what.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think I think the answer to your question is the fact that they haven't put out that much product, so they haven't oversaturated the market with their sound or anything. So people, kind of, um, from an audience standpoint. They wait for those moments and, and and they make sure those moments are special. And no, I think there's a vast difference with D'Angelo. You know, when you only put out two projects in 22 years, there's a difference between putting out, you know, mm-hmm. five or six in the 22 years. But period.
0: see, but hold on, hold on. Because I, I kind of agree with you, because as you're saying that, I'm thinking of D'Angelo, Lauren Hill, even Maxwell to some extent. It's like these people still remain a part of our conversations. See, but I think
4: Maxwell Max Sade out.
0: is releasing material. Even if it's few and far between, they're releasing material almost at a Anita Baker-like level or right. rate. So, to yeah, John's but, point, how
4: are but they... But, but here's the deal. Joel, let me, John, I know you, I, I'm know i not going to say I know what you're going to say, but I think there's a vast difference. And that's why I say you need to take Maxwell out of that conversation. You need to take Anita Baker out of that conversation it, from the Lauryn Hill and D'Angelo. When you're only dealing with two products, Period. That's different from... Maxwell still has five, I think, projects. Anita Baker still has like five projects. You know, Sade as a band has four or five projects. When you only do they two, you that, can't yeah, build yeah. on anything. That's it. So they're, they're not Sade, Maxwell, Anita Baker. No, they're, they're pacing themselves differently. Putting out two and that's it, different.
1: But the question here is, is different though, because unlike... Unlike the other people that you guys have mentioned, unlike Maxwell or Anita Baker, Shady come out and smash it commercially every single time.
2: In the intro, you know, I said that they had six yeah. platinum yeah. albums, yeah. and the thing is, yeah. they have six studio yeah. released albums. Yeah. So each from the gate from 1985,
1: Diamond Life, multi platinum, exactly. Yes, yes, and, yes, and and their tours. I mean, they these are four people who have no dance routine have got no spectacle four people three guys with instruments and one woman in front of a microphone she's hardly dancing and they're doing arenas they're doing stadiums they're not doing you know it's it's one thing to sell out on the basis of your music to you know sell really really big but then to do a live show which actually isn't a live show in in a modern context certainly not an arena show in a modern context to do that people will spend £85, $150 a ticket. It's incredible. And she keeps her clothes on. And she keeps her clothes And she's always kept her clothes on. Mm-hmm. Suits, mm-hmm. turtlenecks. You know, there's no video out there. There are, I mean, you know, there are sort of photos out there, but there's no video out there or album cover out there or any record company marketing out there that's marketed her in, in an incredibly lascivious way. There's nothing, there's nothing about Sade that's not tasteful. There's nothing about Sade, the band, the group, the music, the woman, that's not elegant. There's nothing about her, about them, that's not sophisticated and reserved and refined. And one could argue that in that respect, there's nothing about them. And I'm a lifelong Sade fan, as Scoop's uh, wife, Tracy, knows. Um, <laughs> there's nothing about them that's dynamic, arguably. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And coming up when they came up in the era of Madonna, in the era of Michael Jackson, in the era of Prince, in the era of all these big, big stadium acts, even like Duran Duran, right? Mm-hmm. Coming up in that era, for them to have hit it that big and then remain big through the Beyonce era, you know, through the Jack Jackson era, through even Radiohead have got a massive live show, to remain big at that level, just doing what they do, unchanging, it's it's incredible. I don't know how they've done it. But
4: they, I think they're such a unique band with a unique voice. And, and, and if you go to... And, and Stuart Matthewman has to be the center. I think he is the centerpiece to why this band stays relevant even more so than Side A the singer. You know, it's 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 his songwriting, you know, and, you know, uh
1: the bass playing well, they, of the band they all write, that lays as a they foundation. They all write the songs, man. I mean, Denman is the bassist, but they all write... They all write the songs... I think, okay. I think maybe, Scoop, actually, you've got a very, very good point wrapped up in there. Matthew Men's the sax player. Right. And if you look at the early marketing for the group, um, on you know, Diamond Life mm-hmm. and uh, Promise, and even all the way up to Stronger Than Pride, Stronger Than Pride really is the first time that it was sort of marketed more, per se, as the woman than the band. But in so much of the videos and in so much of the photos, Arthur and Isaac were sending uh, around a photo of Sade at the weekend, which has got... Um, Matthew Mann on the saxophone there okay. but nobody else in the band so it's Mm kind of like I think Mm -hmm. if there was one instrumentalist other than Sade the woman that was marketed as Sade the band it was you're right it was um, Stuart Matthew Mann but it was for his sax I think
0: I think that to to go back to the original question just to kind of from my point of view to sum it up I think that the reason I think Mystique has a huge is a huge part of this you know I think that they've maintained Sade the woman to me is you know at her all the way going back to the 80s up until now she was just as mysterious to me as Prince was back then mm-hmm. you know it was like I didn't know what she I could not picture her in a normal setting just having a conversation she just seemed ethereal to me you know it was like she just was some something else and even though she's done interviews even though we've seen her you know you know she still maintains that mystique and I think it has a lot to do with what Jahan said about her she seems so elegant you know what I'm saying and just mm-hmm. so Otherworldly, you know. So I think that has a big part to, of, of to do with their appeal. But bottom line to me, what it comes down to is niche for one thing. They, they, their uniqueness as yeah. a band created a niche, right. and no one else has been in that niche. It's Nobody theirs. else can do their sound. It's theirs. Nobody you know can create saying? that, right? And so that to me leads to a formula. Not to say that they haven't created different albums, but their music to me, when I go to get a Sade album, I know exactly what I'm getting, mm-hmm. and it's like mm. I'm never. I'm never going and feeling, oh, man, I hope this is not going to be. Even if it's not as good as some of their 80s stuff, it doesn't matter. It's still going to be Sade. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a, a familiarity and a comfort level there that keeps them relevant to me. Maybe not at the iconic level that they were before. I, can, I think you can argue that they aren't as hugely iconic as they were before. But still, they are so very, very relevant and will always go platinum because I know exactly what I'm getting when I when I go buy a Charday album.
1: That's a really good point. I think what's very interesting is that you're absolutely right, they're not as iconic as they were back in the 80s, purely because of competition and because tastes have have moved on a little bit and they've moved further away from where they are. Um, But I think they're ironically almost more successful nowadays than they were back then and that might be the nostalgia factor it might be that people want to see them live who haven't actually seen them for the last 20 years
2: yeah but the, you know it's fair to say that, that that sade is the first um what's what's the term that the term that i love love that you created uh a modern alternative soul group because you know i i listen to maxwell's albums and i hear i hear sade as the as the primary influence
1: yeah that's because Stuart matthew man is you know he he was one of maxwell's very early collaborators Interestingly enough, Maxwell, in an interview that I heard, said he'd never heard Sade until the record company said, would you like to work with this guy? Totally don't believe that. What? Okay. <laughs> 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 I almost had a Luther, <laughs> had a
0: Luther reaction there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, No, no, it's true.
1: It's true. How do you he not hear he Sade? On, um, That's impossible. That's impossible. It was on Kiss FM in London. It was an interview uh, with Matt White. He's lying. And he... Um, you know, he was, he was very honest, very good interview. He was very honest. It was I, I don't cool believe guy, that. And no. he was saying, yeah, he didn't. Maybe he, he didn't know.
0: Like, I don't see how you cannot hear a smooth
4: operator. It's this, this, this impossible. Hang on to your love. That was
0: I
1: mean he may not have known it was them, but yeah.
4: Especially as a musician, as an artist, how can you let that slide yeah, by? At least, vibe, yeah. Ar- yeah, at least
1: yeah. Arthur had an excuse with Luther. He
0: wasn't. A, he's not a musician. <laughs> right, 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 right. He is a black <laughs> no, man in America. <laughs> <laughs> right, right.
1: You're right though they are they are one of the first modern alternative soul cuz they bands. had I mean you know, they, they, had, they, w- they were marketed as jazz when they first came out exactly. That's right. when
2: I now I remember I remember when uh, when Diamond Life came out I had first heard Smooth Operator on what was then called the Quiet Storm station in Berkeley KBLX and this is before the term smooth jazz had been created Uh, But they had owned that space for quite a while where you had this, this, um, just this sound, this, 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 this easy, accessible, but I mean this easy, non-elevator music sound, you know, with um, a woman who I think, I, I, I don't think that Sade's voice is dynamic. But I think she has a dynamic voice. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That is so different. Um, that it's, oh, not, it's very distinctive. It's not done. It's y- distinctive. Yeah, it's not. You know, it's not campy. It's, it's 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 not old. It's not. Um, it's not nightclub. No, and it fits well with what they're doing musically.
4: It fits mm-hmm. perfect. It's and, a and perfect it's unique. Mirror.
1: I mean, for a woman to have an alto range, in the way that she does with that timber and that undertone, that gorgeous, gorgeous, slightly rough undertone under her voice, oh my God, amazing.
0: Say it's like you want to, uh, for a second you want to say it's like fine wine, but then she brings in that very high class liquor to it. You right, know what I'm saying? It's right. like that that timber and that you know that kind of rasp at the end of it. It's like yeah. she's like fine and elegant, but
1: then at the same time she gives you that umph. That's like ooh. Just to go back to the original question, I'll sort of I just want to put my position out there. I've got no idea what it is. There is, in my opinion, there's no explanation. Uh huh. There's there's no explanation for how they've been able to remain not just relevant but massively in demand mm-hmm. for all this time like when you know when Anita Baker drops a new album people will be excited about it Detroit heads will be excited about it Quiet Storm fans will be excited mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. and that's it but they may or may not That's get it for it. real you really think that you think that's it I'm globally worldwide there isn't the anticipation there isn't the months long eagerness and excitement of when is the album dropping here's the first video oh my god we've just seen the album artwork when yeah i mean i i i get that but you you said it's not on that level no nah, you, you you said detroit for real but okay go ahead but you know i you know what i mean scoop i mean what i'm saying is there'll be certain types of audiences that focus on anita mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm.
1: there'll be slightly broader audiences in my opinion that focus on maxwell but even when maxwell drops mm-hmm. Even when, because you know, when Maxwell comes to the UK, he ain't doing arena shows. You know, doing doing. He's arena not doing shows. arena
0: shows here, is he? Maybe nah. in Chicago. Nah, okay, like well, there you go. But, there you
1: go. Exactly. Yeah. He's not on that level. Even with him, you don't have the kind of every single tidbit of information the audience must have. Yeah.
4: No. 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 I'll get you on Maxwell. I'm. I, I'm. I'm kind of just
1: indifference with you about the Anita Baker thing, just from what you said. That's all. But go ahead. No. Fair enough. Fair enough. So I don't. The, my point being is. I don't know what it is. I don't know how they've managed to remain to be seemingly relevant but also grow their audience i don't I don't understand you know what
0: Jay? Jay? Jay going back to that I think we've all agreed, even though if we can't really nail it down, we know that the mystique has something to do with it outside of like you know people like us who maybe you know gobble up this type of information like I don't know a damn thing about Shadé the woman, you know what I'm saying it's mm. like I don't know anything mm. about her other than her mm. music, and it's like. I don't know. I've read, you know, a few articles here and there, but I really she's like that person you meet and you talk to for, you know, a couple hours and you walk away. You feel like you don't know a damn thing about them.
4: Right. Tell me the of
0: your soul. To me, if you don't know something about somebody that's going to keep you coming back, Give it up and let go. Mm-hmm. you know, so if all you're getting is her music. You know, what I'm saying that's all she's offering you like I, we don't need to you don't need to see me you know in this magazine or on this tv show or whatever whatever i'm about this music and that's it you're gonna keep gobbling that up you're gonna come back every time and i'm not saying i'm not saying that that i'm not saying that that's the answer but i'm saying that mystique is a part of it and i think that's, that's true there's
1: definitely there's definitely a less is more vibe Almost Mm -hmm. nothing, and 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 can can we also and can we also
4: include in this? And I'd love to hear Jahan piggyback on this. The fact that she doesn't do anything musically without that band.
1: Yeah, no, never. Is it's not like India Davenport. India India Davenport would
4: do something without the brand new heavies, Mm -hmm. you know, and then come back. Mm -hmm. But the fact that the only time you hear Sade sing or do anything publicly is going to be with a band, and I think that also creates. You know, it's something that, that, that gravitate yeah, no, that makes us right. gravitate to that because we know exactly right. we know we're getting. It's not gonna be anything I mean, we know it's gonna be great.
1: The only thing the only thing that we sort of know about her is that she you know, she wanted to raise her daughter. And she wanted to do it away so from I the d- children. I, she she right, I, I didn't know she had a daughter. <laughs> Did you right.
0: know she was a chain <laughs> smoker? <laughs> She is? Yeah, that's a smoker. That, yeah, that she smokes. Yeah. That makes sense though um, with that little rasp of the voice. When I heard uh on the last album when they did the you know, the stupid little remixes that they did and put Jay-Z on mm. one of the songs, mm. I remember listening to that and getting the feeling I said, I said to myself, I said, I bet you Jay didn't even meet her. I bet she's never met her. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's yeah. like it's yeah. like that Sade, is like she, you know, it's like you hear remixes now and you assume that they record them separately. Yeah. But something in my mind was just like, I bet you
4: Jay don't even know her. <laughs> you like, she probably didn't even know they're doing this. Right. Sade I, doesn't even know they're doing this. Like Jay can't even meet Sade. Because that did not even seem like something they would co-sign on. She's like, Jay who? <laughs> like Jay Z, who's that? funny thing that you said, you said you got introduced to Smooth Operator on the Jazz Station C. Hang on to your love was the first single. Right, and that was the oh, dat- yeah. top the dance charts. Yeah. Uh, that was a dance charts.
1: Such a groove.
4: That that top Billboard's dance charts, dance music sim- I mean dance music report. Yeah. Yeah. It's Hang on to your love get introduced in America as a dance. It was a club record before it even broke.
1: paradise as well right paradise followed it up yep sure the did next album
0: and i don't you know what listening just going back in my mind hearing you guys talking and listening to these songs in my mind as you're saying them i don't want a short changer because i think i've said you know formula yeah, be this careful, bro. i don't want a short changer those albums were off the chain and they were dynamic. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Those songs stood out mm-hmm. by them. It wasn't like elevator music where it just yeah. and sounded And they the same song. They weren't the pleasant. same song. I mean, it was some diversity
2: on those albums. She went into a These dub. These were great, 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 great albums. They went great, to like a, albums. a dub reggae phase with you, love, And, love, and that's, with that's why I was rock. giving credit to and the bass um, being the centerpiece of
4: that because the, mm. the bass line to me is one of the centerpieces where you know the Sweetback as a band is doing their thing.
2: Right. Mm. You know?
0: Right. Jay, do you think, is she one of those artists who can only, Shade, the, the, the woman, can only record when she's feeling a certain way? When she's, it seems like, you know, does she have to be going through a certain, you know, sad period in her life to record or what is it? Uh,
1: who knows? I mean, I, I think clearly they make enough money. So cash isn't a driver mm-hmm. for her to, for them to record or perform or whatever. Clearly they've, you know, they're, they're set for life. Their families are set for life, I'm sure.
0: Cause I did hear a rumour, tell me if it's true, the last album that they did a couple years ago, she was going through something, was it a divorce or something? Uh again, Sade being have no idea. Sade I can only but the
4: fact that you there, don't know it, we don't know it is beautiful.
0: Right. Yeah. This stuff yeah, was out love. there in the in the you know I will
1: say that everything from a personal point of view, everything after Love Deluxe, I could I could sort of take or leave. I think. Promise, Diamond Life, Stronger Than Pride. Stronger Than Pride to me is their great, that's their magnum opus. Love Deluxe, um, which I didn't fully appreciate at the time, but I now appreciate it as an amazing album. I think everything after that, they lost a little bit of the, I mean, funk is the absolute wrong word to use in relation to them, but I'll use it anyway. They lost a little bit of their funk or individuality. It just seemed a little bit more diluted, a little bit more homogenous. A little bit more. That said, you're not
0: you're not leaving lovers' rock on the table though. You're taking it with you though, right?
1: I'm leaving it on the table. I don't want lovers' rock. You can take <sighs> it. Take my Ooh. coffee. It's cool.
2: You know, let me let me let me close this out by asking a a, a question.
1: Well, Why are do we really you think? It out? I mean, have we? After you just, just said that You think Sade Wants to hear anything else From you <laughs> So we don't have An answer though We don't
0: have a Yeah we, Yeah That was him Sade we, Not us
1: But look, We don't so, have a, I, I'm, I'm English I got the I got Nah brother Nah She I, she, feel, she look like The type of
0: sister That's gonna cut you off With the quickness Like You don't get You don't get Three strikes You, you even look like You mess up at the plate That's it
2: But Joe aside, how, how, how come how, how come She's never Talked about In In, in the diva Conversation now, now, I don't believe that a diva only has to be someone with this, this massive voice of multi-octave ranges and everything like that. I mean, a diva is, is, is uh, a, a female singer with, 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 with presence, with stature, that's influential. Um, but diva has something to do with attitude also. But does it have
4: to? Yeah, I think by definition it in does. Our cu- in our culture. In our culture, yeah, it, it does.
0: It may not be the strict
2: definition, but within our culture. Within our
1: culture, it does. Well, you know what? Arthur, I'll, I'll help you out here. I think she's above that. I think she's...
2: I mean, there's no question she's in it. Is there any question that she is a she has a voice that's worthy of influence? Oh, yeah. yeah but to Jahan's point, she defies categorization to me. Right. She's beyond yeah,
4: She that. sets her own definition as opposed to us yeah. setting it for her.
0: And
1: mm-hmm. we, res- I think as an audience, we respect that. Go ahead. There'll be people like, you know, Patty LaBelle will say something about Mary J. Blige. You know, she can't sing. You know, Shaka Khan will say something about... Uh, Beyonce maybe you know she's not you know she's not like me or whatever I'm not saying they've said these things I'm saying I can picture it I can't picture any black American Mickey Howard Patty LaBelle Shaka Khan Dinah Ross I can't picture any of them criticizing Sade I just yeah I might be wrong I just can't see it and vice versa she's above it I think she's I think she's. Well, I, I can't picture Shaday having an opinion on any of these people. I can't. What see about her across talking? the water, though? I mean, what about <laughs> what about
2: a Karen Wheeler or 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 Misha Paris?
1: I can't. You know, I don't even know Shaday to me. And maybe it's maybe it's the English thing. Maybe it's you know, I grew up with her in, in a way. It's maybe she just seems otherworldly to me. No, she it's not. Ethereal. It's not just.
0: I, I completely agree with you. She does. If she was on stage with like at one of those you know events where they got all the singers there. I just cannot see her standing there with all those others. She'd have to move to the side. She needs her own space. She's Sade. She's not a diva. She's Sade. Do you
1: notice notice one thing how you never see Sade's legs? She's always wearing really, really long dresses, right? Beautiful Mm -hmm. dresses, beautiful Mm -hmm. long dresses. You Mm -hmm. know Why? It's because Sade doesn't walk. Sade glides. <laughs> don't, don't try to make up wanna, for saying you leave lovers rock you on the out. table. They don't Look, he's freak he you out. trying
0: to make it out now. He's trying to, trying to make it up.
4: And you won't see them at Essence Fest. <laughs> right. See, That's and true. that right. keeps you out of Diva. You right. know what I'm saying? Yeah, that day, you, like, it rises. Yeah. But, but I think also as an audience, we don't put her there. You know what I'm saying? I think she controls it, but we also respect that. You know, it's like um, if, you could tell when the media respects somebody when you honor their wishes. She puts out there such regalness, such, you know, such such just beauty. And it's not and grace. And grace. So that in her context, diva is a bad word. So we don't align that with her. Because she's giving us no reason. And we respect that. So that's part of the reason I don't think we associate it with.
0: And you know, John brought up uh, her physical characteristics. You can see it in her eyes, man. It's like you look at Sade's eyes and you see that regalness, that grace, that mysteriousness, that mystique. Is in her eyes, and it's been that way since you know, uh, uh, since, the, since she
1: left since Nigeria. <laughs> <laughs> you know, was she and, and born? You know, the, she, she, was she born in London, Joe? No, she's born in Nigeria. Oh, okay. And you know, it's she seems down to earth as well in a bizarre way. Like I don't know if it's just the, I don't know if it's just the B girl kind of hoop earrings, the big hoop earrings that she always always wears. But she just seems, she seems like you could have a conversation with her in a way
0: down down to earth in a, in a ethereal way, right? In an eth- yeah,
2: exactly what a paradox but yeah, yeah I mean we were talking about how she doesn't how she hasn't done anything outside of the context of Sade but do you, do you think uh, I mean who do you think could produce her with that voice?
4: No one just who's doing it? Living
2: that? yeah living no one Michelle? No one
0: I can I see Michelle well, I think, playing I with her like a live show. I could see that.
2: What about like a T Bone Burnett? That's a, I mean, that's a different sound. It seems like it had to become something thing. completely outside. of... I know, but
4: they're so perfect as it is. I don't, you know, and and, and it's so synonymous with one another—the sound, with the voice, the I mean, everything—and they've been doing it. Uh, let me at go this back. Level.
0: Hold up, though, Scoot. Let's go back to I think I don't know what episode it was, but just to to Devil's Advocate, you were saying that whatever whatever artist we were talking about, you brought up the point about you have to diversify, you know what I'm saying? And show that you can do different things as almost, I'm not saying that's what you said. I'm just paraphrasing, but we talked about that point Mm -hmm. about diversifying as proof of genius. But are we saying, and even though I do feel like those, those uh, early albums, they did a lot of diverse music although they have a signature sound it's like they're it's almost like they're butting heads with themselves because right. like they have a signature sound but they do do diverse music so do they need to branch out does she need to prove anything or does shade need to prove nothing
1: i mean i would love i would love to see them re- revert to the first to the sound of the first three albums rather than this quasi jonette shade quasi adele I, agree with Jeanette, sound. But
4: I hear what you're saying but in answer to his question who could produce it in my mind they're so tight and so sick. I can't, I can't, can't separate can't them. Hear, That's what I'm saying. He's asking the question: Who you else can do it. them? They're right where they are in my mind. Yeah, I, can't, I can't see anybody messing this up. I know? was
0: gonna say I would like to see her do like real, like you know, real jazz. But I just, I can't take her out of the context of what she is in my mind. It's hard for me. Well, to Well, the hear band anyway. has
4: ventured into certain things like that, but still, I mean, they would if they did it. His because the question was produce them. Now, if they wanted to produce some type of, and self-produce, stay self-contained and go to jazz route and it's gonna sound beautiful because they're doing it. Uh-huh. Getting the outsider to come in and do that is it ain't gonna work. That's what I'm saying. In my mind, that's why I can't picture it. So I'm answering the question, you can't picture it. But to me, diversity and their music has been diverse. If you really listen to everything that they've done, there is diversity in there. It's contained, but it is diverse. Right. You know, um Yeah. It, it, yeah. You can go from
1: stronger than love is stronger than pride to hang exactly. on to your love to No Ordinary yeah. Love, uh, yeah. To no, Worry, you know, right. you can there go all type of places with this thing. And actually, actually, to be, to be frank, even the albums I don't like, every single album they've dropped had its own characteristic and sound. I mean, the first two were perhaps closest together in, in sound, but then Stronger Than Pride had a very, very defined, distinct sound, you know, from the engineering, to the songwriting, to, to the performance, and the way that album kicks off with the, uh, the sort of title track, Love Is Stronger Than Pride, is just so tonally representative of the rest of the album. The lyrics, the music, the vocals, production, just just, just so atmospheric. Love Deluxe had a, a brand new sound, a very, very clear, defined sound. Different instruments, let alone instrumentation and production. And then again, Lovers Rock again a different vibe. And then again, Soldier of Love again a different vibe. Um, so, so they have, you know, they've made incremental changes, but those changes have been made across all of the songs on each project. I will, s- which again is, I will impressive. say this to
4: your point, Isaac: if they did decide to like. Do some crazy as Irish bar, you know what I'm saying? Some muffin and sons type stuff, and they pulled it off, then they raised another level of genius. Like, mm-hmm. oh my god, the you, greatest you could, band
1: ever. Mm-hmm. Right. So now you get into
4: that category, like, my God, you could do all this and you can still
1: right. you know. Alright. I mean I would probably kill myself. If hey, that if happened, it's dope, but, it's dope. Um,
4: I bet mm-hmm. y'all would
2: have liked better more if she was singing on it you said what he's going back to Michelle (laughs) and Dago tell going he's going going, going, episodes back trying to prove his point
0: oh okay you had me lost for a (laughs) second you know what you're
1: actually right (laughs) so just just to wrap it up because I know Arthur wants to wrap it up um, if you had to choose I don't think I think we all agree that there is no answer here but if you if gun to your head you had to choose one characteristic about the band whether it's you know, whether it's her looks or whether it's their songwriting or production or whatever, what what one characteristic would you choose gun to your head that you thought, okay, you know what, stab in the dark, this is how they stayed relevant?
0: Uh, I would say unique, uniqueness. No one sounds like they do. No one does what they do. No one.
4: I'll, I'll go with what I said earlier. I th- I mean, I think it's Stuart Matthewman, but at the same time, um, I say Stuart. I'm sticking with Stuart.
2: Stuart Matthewman, to me, is the centerpiece to all that. So, I would say their consistency. Every album, she's on the cover, close photo, they have... (laughs) Well, no, I'm serious. You know, each album is is like a 45 to 56 minute running time. (laughs) You know what
1: you get. They in, they out. (laughs) Right. You know? Yeah, I'll probably go with a blend of everything that you guys said. But they're a brand, basically. It's very, very few... Even Beyonce, even like megastars today, they're not... you know they're brands in the way that they've lent their names to businesses Mm. but they're not brands in their music their philosophy they're what
0: every brand wants to be they're an authentic brand an authentic
1: brand with a very loyal every brand
0: wants to be that but they are that
1: yeah
4: yeah most of the brands get in their own ways that's the one thing we have to
1: say about Sade as a band is that they haven't gotten in their own way Mm. and that's a beautiful thing yeah and 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 most other brands try to be a brand. Yep. Whereas these guys, I don't necessarily know it was ever part of their game plan. No. I think it just happened. Great point. All right. What if, what if Frankie Knuckles had never moved to Chicago?
2: Frankie Knuckles, the godfather of house. We lost him uh, March 31st of this year. He was from New York, moved to Chicago in 1982, started DJing at The Warehouse, a few years later opened up his own club in Chicago called the Power Plant. Power Plant. And was instrumental in creating a genre of dance music that called House.
4: He gave it an identity. I mean, I think House was being being from here and being in that moment. I think House music was here when he got here, but he gave it an identity. Without question, he gave it an identity.
2: By the music that he by his song selection. Song selection being
4: um being the DJ that he was, you know, having a residence, mm-hmm. you know, which wasn't really known, you know, you, not, not too many people had residents back then. You had some clubs, but not that were directly identified with the specific DJ being there. So the warehouse became his residence and that became the hub. So he gave the music an identity. A lot of other cats that were spinning, you know, didn't give it. You know, um, the, the the Peter Lewickies, the Lou DeVitos, the Kenny, John, uh, um, Kenny Jasons, you know. They spun all over. Mm-hmm. You know, they did house music all over. Farley when he was young. Jesse Saunders was one of the founders. Chip Veasley, another founder. You know, all these cats spun. But none of them had a residence. You know, where every day, every every Saturday, every weekend, you went to the warehouse, you know who was going to be on those tables.
2: But what was it about Chicago? In other, in other words, he was DJing in New York City.
4: Yeah, but it was a it was more dance than it was house. He 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 gave it a place to root itself in soul. If you ever heard Frankie spin, Frankie was extremely extremely gospel influenced in his approach to music. And even if even in, in in the individual he released, if you go back and listen to Sessions and Sessions Two, the last two albums he basically did. You know those are all gospel records. They just happen to have roots, to But that's how Frankie spun. Um, I've heard so many people doing tributes to Frankie since he's passed away, DJs who I love Dave Morales, you know, Dimitri from Paris all these, and I'm looking I'm like, did y'all really hear Frankie spin? Because if you heard Frankie spin and really knew what Frankie was about, this wouldn't be a tribute, you know Frankie was he, he took the music that was already existing and not only was the stuff he spun, it's, it's, it's the it's the sound he provided along with it, I don't think in New York he would have made it so soul centric It would have been as rooted in soul music as he did when he came here. So when he came here, you had dance music. He made sure at the bottom of that was always some gambling huff. You know, when he did, if you were spinning some um, um, Dan Hartman, you know, with with, uh, Lolita Holloway singing on it, he made sure at, at some point in time you would understand that Mahalia Jackson was a part of this in his music. So I don't think he would have done that in New York. I think because of the, the, I think if you look at the history of, of, of music here, going back to Chess Records and the audience that introduced itself to transferring from that form of music to what was becoming dance music and house music, and Frankie having that one place where he was a resident at, I think that was not going to happen in New York. And, and why Chicago? Because he had that spot. You know what? I think this
0: goes back to what we've talked about before on the show and in the influence of... Black culture on Black Midwestern music, mm-hmm. exactly. Mostly due to the Great Migration, mm-hmm. you can be on the coast and get all these other things going on. You can't be in Chicago, Detroit, you know, Cleveland, you know, wherever Minneapolis, mm-hmm. you know, what I'm saying St. Louis, and kind of mm-hmm. touching the Black music without getting that whole influx of soul. Yep, you know, I think that that, that defines a lot of, of of Midwestern, you know, influence on Black music. But I think the question though that's on the tip of everybody's mind is okay. If he doesn't move here, are you saying house music does not blow up to the extent? I
4: I don't think I don't think it has an identity that it did. I I think maybe it has a different identity, but it doesn't have the identity that it does with him being here. You know, because you got to understand the terminology is specifically what it was. House music played in basements, you know, and it was strictly black. Strictly
0: black. Now, was this was this primarily because you say house and I'm thinking Chicago. There are houses here, mm. but there's a lot of buildings. Like people live in buildings, yeah. so it's like, were cats in? If this was strictly regulated to house parties. You know, keep in basements at houses, or were cats like in? having parties up in the the apartment. You know what I'm oh, saying? yeah. That's
4: right. like, yeah no, you have par- yeah, party anywhere. You, you, you mm-hmm. can have parties anywhere. But the basement, call house right.
0: But the basement, basement mythology. Canada,
4: take it, they not want to call it a basement party. Couldn't call it a queer party. You know, mm-hmm. it's just house. Because the basement is important to,
0: to black Midwestern music as well. No, without you know a doubt. To that's a whole different thing. But the, that's, the basement. That goes back to the Slow
4: Jam episode. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't know that houses didn't have basements until I went, you know, to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Where's the basement at?" Right. There is no basement. Right. How is that possible?
4: You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like houses have basements. What right. are you talking about? Yeah, no, not down south you flood that way. <laughs> but no, it, it, but but that that that's where kind of where the terminology came from. So, I think, you know, it it, it attributed itself that, from that because It's almost like the whole corny hip-hop thing about, you know, we used what we could to make music, you know. So we plugged our things in the light post and we took our old mom and dad's music and turned it into something else. I think the same thing is attributed here. The stuff that we were listening to here, as a DJ, Frankie took that to the club. So when he go to people's houses, you know, a lot of said, Chip did the same thing, Jesse did the same thing, you know, when they were creating the sound. Larry Heard when he was writing songs, did the same thing, you know. Ron Hardy, who also along with Frankie developed, you know, can, can be the cornerstones of house music. They all did the same thing, but what they did is take the same music that we listen to in our houses. You know what I'm saying? And transferring that into another genre of music. So when you listen, people ask all the time, how do you define house music? I'm playing some Stevie Wonder.
1: You right, know, I, I right. and, I, and people, like,
4: that's not, how. yes it is. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? you playing some Teddy, Teddy Pendergrass, Harold Melvin and the Blues, Mus- Notes. Mm-hmm.
1: As long as it was played inside a house with four walls, it is house. <laughs> right. right. Okay.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's funny because in the UK, our own kind of variation on it, garage. I don't know why they called it garage. I'm sure there's an etymology behind it. You know, maybe they did start it in garages. But then, you know, you have the American concept of garage bands as well. Mm-hmm. Garage bands, as we would call it. Well, that was the name of a big club in New York at the time. They played.
4: Quote unquote, dance music also.
1: Garage? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huge. Now, what's jungle?
2: Huh? What's jungle? Is that a derivative? That's a derivative yeah. house,
1: right? Mm-hmm. Well, jung- yeah, jungle is sort of like, I think it's a sort of Caribbean or London influenced uh, style, but it's, I mean, it's a lot harder. The bass line is very, very staccato, mm-hmm. very, very loud, prominent, staccato kind of sound, incredibly yeah. sped up. Much more tribal. And, um, little bits of reggae yeah. influences. But but so, Scoop, uh, before we wrap, are you are you that's a lot of pressure to put on one man's shoulders. You're saying that his location change shifted the genre of music.
4: Yeah, but I don't think it's pressure. I just think that that's the way I identify with it in answering the question. If he had to come here, I don't- A lot I don't, of responsibility, a lot of credit. A lot of credit. Yeah, I, I think, because I, I can't, in, in being here and living that, I don't, I think it's one of those perfect storm situations. I can't think of any other DJ at the time That was over here. If he didn't come over here, this is where I answered the question. If he did not come over here, and the DJs that we had who were developing and being at the at the at the groundswell of what we were building to be house music, which was you know a a kind of advanced form of stepping music, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm. Herb Kent wasn't gonna go to a club and spin. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I said, Jesse and Farley and and Ron Hardy was more into Latin infusion than he was anything else. You know, the Chip Veasleys, all of those cats, they didn't have the one particular residence. They were DJing all over. So I think all I'm saying is that Frankie gave it an identity, which was that cushy. week after week after week were turned into years. He was able able to develop something that none of the other DJs were you know and it became an event to go hear frankie spin because he was doing stuff differently and, and i don't all i'm saying Jahan, is if he had not come to chicago and i'll say this not come to chicago and not gone and had a specific place to play at every week that it would have had an identity what if he went to what if he went to atlanta not happening they don't have a musical foundation
0: because this happened in Detroit?
4: Mm, I don't think so, because I think they're up against something. I think he would have been a fought The, the Motown sound and developing the Detroit sound is still fighting against Motown. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, it was almost like he came to a perfect place, because what is he really fighting up against? Yes, Chess Records was here, and you have the history of the Curtis Mayfields and the Jerry Butlers and all this, that and the other, and the sound of Earth, Wind & Fire created, you know, before they took it out to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. But still, there was no you know outside you know, you look at the blues the blues has somewhere else to go you look at jazz jazz has somewhere else to go you know you look at r b you know and like i said from chess records back in the day and, and the staple singers being from here you look at that and that's they all have other places to go chicago has still not basically developed a signature sound of their own detroit had a sound that was that motown sound perfect place perfect time you know there was nothing for him to you know to come in here and create up against
0: so there, you can draw a link though That was interesting What you said about steppers, Stepping music You can draw a link Between Stepping to House
4: Well at the same They're dance music You know and, and, and they're dance music That's rooted in Black soul music You know James Brown Is stepping music You know what I'm saying It's not that they had steppin', They weren't stepping songs. Right, people were yeah. making step, People make stepping songs now, but they were making stepping songs back then. They were looking at the tempo of a current soul record and turning it into music you could step on. And it created an entire culture. Exact same thing Frankie did. And what house was, was the evolution beyond stepping. Because when we were kids, you would step. Before house, that was it. Everybody would listen to stepping music and we create that culture. Now, the next form of dance music or soul mm-hmm, music or mm-hmm. dance music that's rooted in soul that people dance to is house.
0: I mean I, I remember uh, a friend of mine asking another friend for some this is when I lived in Atlanta asking him for some house music and he specified I want Chicago house music.
4: Totally different, yes. Right.
0: He specified totally I don't want that other house stuff that you think is house. He's yeah. not, I want some
1: Chicago house it's music. It's
4: rooted it's deeply, deeply rooted in a lot of the existing soul music of the time. It still is to this day.
1: I've got exactly the same experience. In fact, in Scoop Scoop told me because um in London, all the stuff that they, when I was growing up, all the stuff they termed house was actually dance. It was this sort of techno, sympathized, right, right. just horrific, <laughs> yeah, horrible, horrible, horrible music. And I came to, um, I came to Chicago, and I was hanging out with Scoop, and I was like, God, I just hate house, <laughs> yeah. and, you know. And Scoop, I see where this story Scoop's is quite. like, No, 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 you, you don't, you don't know. And he took me to a club with, uh, I don't even know how I got in. I was pretty sure i was under 21 <laughs> or something but he took me to a club with uh bangers and pj mm-hmm. and um and they play and there was one point where scoop dragged me onto the dance floor and he said this is how. Yeah. It was definitely yeah. it was unlike anything i'd ever experienced before. now i felt ridiculous because yeah. and every time they played a track like that scoop would go like this is how. my experience
2: was almost embarrassing because what i knew to be house, growing up in in the bay area even though i'm from Chicago up to being you know eight nine years old was Jungle Brothers Girl I'll house you right and so saying that <laughs> summer I think that was 87 or 88 or whatever it was came to Chicago for the summer and there was a, 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 a house party at at the basement of push up the street mm-hmm. And what they were playing was incredibly different <laughs> Come on, from. I, I mean, I almost didn't even know the, how to at approach the, push the dance to it. Yeah, at the push headquarters? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Nobody would dance with me. Oh, I was. Just, oh, it's the worst experience I ever <laughs> had in my life. <laughs> I,
4: I suggest anybody if you want to try to get a true feel of, of what we're talking about, especially from the the origin of of, uh, of Frankie's influence, and that there's a song called "There Before the Grace of God." Mm-hmm. Listen to that song. That's house music. It's a gospel song, you know what I'm saying? But in, in truth, that's the essence of house music. Let No Man Put Us Under by mm-hmm. first choice, same thing. That's, I don't think that happens if Frankie stays in, Okay. you know, in okay. It, but I think the same thing could be quite, going back to the city, I think we could throw this question surrounding, what happens if Oprah never comes to Chicago? Point it. What happened if Farrakhan mm-hmm. never comes to Chicago? What happened if Jesse Jackson doesn't wind up here? What happened when Michael Jordan done come to Chicago? What happened when Barack done come to Chicago? It's something about this place. And if you think it's rooted in the people and the soul of the people here, mm-hmm. that you know, it, it, it gives people chances to do something different than they would if they were elsewhere. Mm-hmm. If Oprah had gone to Atlanta outside of Chicago, it mm-hmm. wouldn't be the same. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. It would not be the same at all. If Michael Jordan had played for the... Kings instead of, you know. For Portland. For Portland, exactly. <laughs> if they had drafted, you know, him instead of a
1: Akeem one I've often thought you've got all these market leaders, if you like, but yet Chicago to the rest of the world isn't mentioned in the same breath as New York.
0: Chicago is Sade. It's, it has that mystique. People still come here and even the lake, they're like, what the hell is that? They're mm-hmm. Like, is that an ocean? Mm-hmm. It's like I thought we were in the Midwest. Like, no, that's a, they don't know. It's they like know. I think it's getting a little bit more exposure totally now, agree. John, with television and movies being filmed here more. But mm-hmm. still, it's still a level of mystique, you know. And to be honest, I kind of appreciate no it because I don't, I don't want everybody here.
4: But at the same time, <laughs> what we're talking about—if you look at the essence of what the city is it's still the globalization. Of this city is still rooted in black culture, and that we can't say that about New York. We can't say that about LA. It's right. all you did There's right. exports that go beyond everything we're talking about here. From Oprah Winfrey to Harold's Chicken. It's <laughs> Chicago. To
0: Harold Washington.
2: Yeah, to Harold Washington, exactly. No doubt. Next topic. When did hip hop lose basketball? Now, we, we want to contextualize this a bit, all right? At the height of Allen Iverson's career, the, the NBA, the league, right? The NBA seemed to be under the direct influence of the music and culture that defined Iverson and his entire generation, which was hip hop. Is that influence still dominant in the NBA? Or has the league finally succeeded in jettisoning hip-hop and becoming sanitized, even a more mainstream version of its former self? Love and basketball. Hip-hop and John. Basketball. Right. <laughs> right. Right, 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 right. You guys are the
1: experts. I'll stick with the World Cup.
0: <laughs> He's watching a football game on TV right now. <laughs> now, I think, you know, if you look at the league after... Right when Jordan was, when it was apparent that Jordan was on the waning, you know, part of his first career, you know, before he did the comeback, Um, towards the end of that, you know, that last three championships that the Bulls won, I think the league would have definitely preferred to keep that, you know, image going, you know, of a... You know, I think Mike famously said he doesn't listen to hip-hop. You know, he listens to, I think he said smooth jazz or something. Listen to Anita Baker, he right, said. Anita Baker. Right, Anita Baker, right. We
4: got film of him listening to Kumo cool D back in the day, so <laughs> that's a front.
0: <laughs> so, if you look at, you know, what the league, I think, wanted to continue that, and then all of a sudden, here comes this little kid from Virginia, you know, who, who crossing Mike over, you know what I'm saying, his first year, and he didn't have the cornrows in. You know, he he didn't even have the tattoos then, I don't think. Yeah, one. Yeah, Bulldog
4: when he got to Georgetown.
0: Okay. So, talking about Iverson, but the emergence that happened after Mike was very different than the Michael Jordan, you know, and then going back to Magic and, you know, uh, Larry Bird, a very different aesthetic and something that clearly the the league was very uncomfortable with at the beginning of that. Until this is America. So, what happened next that made him comfortable started making money. A lot of money mm-hmm. A lot, a lot of money And Iverson's jersey was number one for I don't know how long um, That, you know, it was very clear though As as a person, you know, a teenager Or a young adult at that time Looking at what was happening to the league It was changing It felt good to me You know what I'm saying? Because this was at the, you know, the peak of the hip-hop era And so you're seeing a music, a culture Take over a sport And a sport marry a culture Right in right. front of your very eyes Right that was a powerful thing. What made me think about this recently, though, is that with all the controversy with this whole, you know, the L.A. Clippers mess and everything that's happened, it made me think that what happens when a movement happens? Usually after a movement is over, we see what has changed. You know, what cha- what did this movement affect? What did it change? The whole hip hop in you know uh, influence on the NBA, we can say basketball, really talking about the league, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying, because it was always part of basketball, but... The hip-hop influence on professional basketball was a movement. But what happened after that? To me, it's scary that after that movement, so much hasn't changed. In the sense of, I look at the uh, the response of this whole L.A. Clippers thing. I look at you know the stories that have been written. And I'm thinking it's almost like this whole movement happened and it's gone now. And that influence is no longer there and it's almost like it never even happened. Um, is that to say that the players, you know, the, uh, the professional players aren't of the hip hop generation? I'm not saying that. But if you look at where basketball, where the league was 10 years ago, as opposed to where it is now, it's drastically changed and not by accident. I think it was intentional. But that movement that happened, if I look at what's happened over the last couple months, I'm like, I'm sad because I'm like, wow, nothing has changed. That movement didn't really affect anything. And that's to me, that's a sad thing.
2: Well, Iverson, but do you feel that he was the more extreme version of the hip hop culture coming in? I mean, like think because okay, Shaquille came in the league two or three seasons before Iverson, you know, and he was rapping on the He was Shaq Fu, was part of the Fuchsnickers. He had his own <laughs> album out. You know, what had I'm a great song, right? Def Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I got skills. Yeah, you know I got <laughs> skills. Yeah. Right. But I mean, you know, let's say let, let's say Shaquille was the uh, was the comfortable. Let's say the, let's say he was the he was a gentle Smith. giant. He was the freshman. He, he was the gentle giant. You Al, know, you know when I- Iverson comes in and he's the method man. Allen was authentic. Nothing mm-hmm.
0: scares people more than truth. You know what I'm saying? And Allen was the answer, but he was also the truth. And there, he was very authentic to what he was. There wasn't. Just like we were talking about Sade, there wasn't like he pretended to be this or he stepped into this and said, oh, this is gonna be my brand. Let me put a hundred tattoos on my arm. Mm -hmm. Let me corn roll my hair. That's Mm -hmm. gonna be my brand. No, that's just who AI was. And that was scary to the league because it's like, this is not what we want.
4: It was scary to the league, but it was also a, a comfort that the players had never had before. You know, um, you mean like casual Fridays kind of thing? Basi- no, well, basically, exactly. That's a good way to put it. Uh-huh. It's be, like, be oh, we do are, it's, Friday. It's, right? It's like, <laughs> oh, we can be, we can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember the situation. You know, where they're like, so we could actually wear our chains on the cover of, yeah, you could do that because you know, Allen did it, and almost it like he and Stefan Marbury also. Let's be clear, he had help. Mm-hmm. You know, they got away with stuff that people were conditioned to think you couldn't get away with, and that was just being yourself. Now, to be honest with you, the first person to really bring this into the fold was not Allen. It was Chris Webber and the whole Michigan ball team.
0: The Fab 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 Five five
4: really set a precedence
0: for what became bringing hip-hop culture into. The Fab Five, there's an authentic authentic level with the Fab Five where they were just being themselves. And they were up against the Dukes, you know what I'm saying, the North Carolinas, who represented a completely different aesthetic than them. And they brought out, you know, know, they're close to Detroit. Jalen Rose is from Detroit these is cats who just you felt it you know as a kid of that of that age at that time period you did feel a certain connection to them and i think i want to be careful because i think the the you know the argument that i've seen arise a lot is that well especially when the league instituted a few years ago that dress code which was you know part of them trying to you know eschew that you know that that kind of hip-hop influence and a lot of people say well shouldn't you want to dress up you know a certain level and stuff and i Got no problem, you know. Me and Scoop constantly made the point that AI, no matter what he was wearing back in his day, right. he would wear a t-shirt and jeans. It just looked fly because it was like right, was he him. was just crisp with it. You know what I'm saying? But it was like that was just the way he did it. it but
4: but I'm I mean to cut you off. But the dress code thing, people tend to be. The only reason they instituted it is because it was getting out of control. It was not out of control. Right. Th- it was a throwback jersey era, and you had players on the sidelines, in jerseys. Right. <laughs> right, no, I'm just right, right, saying right, right. That's why the dress code, he's like, uh-huh. well, y'all are taking it too far. Right. And when um, Damon Jones showed up at a press conference during the playoffs in a mink coat, sunglasses, and no shirt up under, they just took it too far. Wow. Keeping it real
0: goes too far. <laughs> exactly. 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 <laughs> but, you know, I, I hear that argument from a lot of people and they say, well, you know, and, and I'm, I'm cool. Mm-hmm. My point, though, is that if you, you know, looking at that, that time period and what happened to me, it's like there was, there was a loss of our our connection. You know what I'm saying? Imagine if you, if you are a person of color um, or of a certain, you know, uh, a woman or any, any type of minority, imagine if you could go to work tomorrow and say exactly what was on your mind. Not saying you curse anybody out. I'm just Mm -hmm. saying you didn't have to pretend Mm -hmm. you didn't have to worry that you, like Arthur said uh, uh, before of offending someone or saying because you, you know, you're trying to keep a certain part of yourself hidden because you're worried that your true cultural identity in corporate in corporate America in corporate. Your, true cor- your true cultural identity mm-hmm. will cause you to your other co-workers to feel uncomfortable around you. Imagine if you didn't have to do that. At its at its peak of what Iverson and some of these other players represented before to Scoop's point, before it got out of control, at its peak and at its best, that's what that represented. Mm-hmm. These players were being who they were. Um, and being respectful about it, being cool about it, but they were who they were. And to me, that was a beautiful thing. But I think it was allowed to go on for so long because it was making a lot of money. You know, kids were identifying. And, and at it.
4: the centerpiece of this was Iverson. And, and he was a, he was he was the one person that the NBA, I think, was smart enough to realize that with until we find another Jordan. We got to, you know, this has got to be the cat that we ride out. Mm-hmm. you know. And I think success breeds a lot of this being able to exist. If Fab Five were not successful in doing what they did and getting back-to-back final games in NCAA, mm-hmm. then their whole – defiance
0: mm.
4: would not have resonated right absolutely I think Allen Iverson being as great as he was as good as he was for as long as he was and and the whole defiance of the little not just the, the but the whole little guy mm-hmm. killing the league uh-huh. if he was not successful in doing that if he if he reached Stefan Marbury peak it never would have happened he far be he became the best player of his generation
3: mm-hmm.
4: you know so I think success also goes hand in hand with this and what's happening now to Isaac's point is that I think it's all built around leaders and I think Michael was a leader at the time, so the league kind of shaped itself off of him. The league didn't want you to go to Charles Oakley, Charles Barkley route. You know, from a marketing standpoint, it's Magic, Michael, Larry, you know, we're going to shape it around that. In this standpoint, Allen was a leader for a long period of time. You know, now there was a counterpart with Shaq, but Mm Allen was that leader. So they kind of shaped that. So do you think about not happening now? Who's the leader? Who's running things?
0: So every movement needs a star.
4: Right. So LeBron James is here. LeBron James is trying to be that person in between because he's trying to be a global icon.
2: He's trying to be a bridge at this point.
4: Right. He's trying to be kind of what AI is, but kind of more what Mike is because he's more concerned about, you know, I'll, he's trying to be a global icon, whatever that they m- is. And I mean, he's succeeding Mike. in it, but you're not going to get that defiance because that's not who LeBron is trying to be. He's not trying to be defiance. And that's why it's ended because the leader The person who is at the forefront, at the top of this, Mm -hmm. he's not going that route.
0: So can we parallel this to what's happening in hip-hop music? Despite, you know, according to Jahan, this is another golden age. Let's just look at mainstream hip-hop and say, okay, it's not, if we just, just go with me for a second, Jahan, just for uh, hypothetical reasons. If we say that hip-hop now is not the movement that it was before, can we parallel that with what's happening
4: I can't because def- to me, the defiance is not there. You know, I don't, where can you find defiance?
0: No. I mean, you could uh, again. You could argue that there is a defiance in a, uh, a more personal context, such as with our future. You know, yeah. We can say, well, I was, could, yeah. you, you say, well, I was say gonna say, our gonna future is
2: not defined
4: I, That's not. Defined. I don't think defined. I Think this just different.
0: It's, it's not. To me, it's not politically defined
4: It's defiant.
2: What are they challenging
4: personal, outside of just? I mean, this, d- you know,
2: uh, other than like good taste or like <laughs> how, how to be you know, <laughs> right, right. people skills. <laughs> right. Right. We're not going to
0: get into that conversation. <laughs> but,
4: but even no, even I, even if you separate them, that's just one group. You know what I'm saying? This one entity. We're talking about cultures have to like... But I ask that
0: question because us being, you know, talking about music, to me, it's interesting how you can draw these parallels between, okay, see, this is what's happening in the music culture, and then see, how is that affecting everything else? Because mm-hmm. these things can't be, you know, they can't be separated. So...
4: Every movement has a soundtrack. That's what Jahan says.
0: Is he still with us? Yep. <laughs>
4: see? Yep. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> Cosign, check. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you where there's some spark of, and it's not in the NBA. It's in the NFL. Is that with Richard Sherman? Richard Sherman mm. won me when he was called a thug mm. because of he snapped yeah, off. True. You know, after yeah, the uh, right before the Super Bowl, he snapped mm. off immediately after the play. He was still hyped, snapped off, and the sports writers—I don't know if it was one or several—called him a thug. And he wrote didn't just say it; he wrote something, mm. uh-huh. basically a paper, <laughs> a small thesis about how basically thug is a new way to call somebody a nigga. Like,
4: right, exactly. mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm.
0: And he's like, mm-hmm. you feel comfortable calling me that. And he mm-hmm. said, I'm not, you know, to me that was, I, it was just a beautiful moment because right. it was like, not only did this brother articulate it, he took the time to put it on paper, you know, and you know, that lasts. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was, so to me there is a little bit of a spark. That's defiance. You know, that's the stand to say, look, I'm not going to just let you do so and so. So I say that, to, I say that knowing that within the NBA, what some sports writers or some writers period call a missed opportunity was when after the Sterling news broke, they said, okay, the Clippers and really all the NBA should have walked out then. That's that what moment, I
2: didn't
0: not yeah. wait. Mm-hmm. And had they done that, what kind, there hasn't been a, a show of force like that in a political context within sports. And I don't know how long. So, you know, 19, with... 1968 Olympics I in I want to ask City. You One thing:
4: Who is the musical equivalent right now to Richard Sherman?
0: On, no I can't think of one I'm sure that to your point I'm sure there is one but he's not succeeding like Richard Sherman is mm-hmm. you know like you said every movement has to have a star right, that's what I'm sure, Richard right. Sherman just won a Super Bowl right so is there a musical mm-hmm. equivalent I'm sure there is some MC you know um, you know on an independent label or whatever but on that level of succeeding I don't know you know most deaf I don't know
4: mm-hmm. that's that's the fact I think that's where the problem lies
1: we the fact that, that we, we can't, can't name pick someone
4: right. you know of of mm-hmm. of
1: there's no obvious era pattern, right?
4: Right. That can be like, all right. Well, in 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 the genre hip hop right now, here's our Richard Sherman, and all this all this comes
0: back to power. Yeah. You know, when that movement was happening within the league, when Iverson was at, it it, 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 it you know it, it equated equated, it to equated to power because you can do certain things. Even though, hey, you want to pull Iverson's image away, you can't do that because there's power behind that. Right. You know, exactly. well now, powerless. Mm-hmm. You know, there is no power. Right. You know, although. You know, I don't know if it's true, but I did hear that the players had threatened to say, look, if he doesn't, if Sterling isn't, doesn't you know, banned, then we'll, there will be a walkout. So right. there is power, you know, financial power. So yeah. I don't mean to say there's no power. But if that was 10 years ago, would it have been different? You know, with the, was, yeah. would somebody have walked off then, you know, at that particular moment? I don't know. Yeah. But I have a feeling that things would have went differently because, like, to your point, there was a
2: level of defiance there that we don't have anymore. All right. Roundtable. The love I lost. What prized piece from your musical collection did you lose? Be it by theft, damage, got lost in transition, move, or whatever. You know, it could be it could be it could be a record, it could be a book, it could be memorabilia, some, something somebody gave to you. But it's just got to be music-related. That was part of your musical collection. Who wants to go first?
4: Jahan, go first.
1: Okay, so I recorded myself a Rochelle Farrell show. And it was the first time I ever saw her live. So I went I went to a department store here and I bought this little dictaphone basically. And but it was it, it fit regular size cassettes. And I put it in my pocket in this sort of Nike jacket that I had. We're standing near the front, right? And I mean I went through some sort of navy seal stuff flipping the tape over when it finished and <laughs> I was really, really, really careful because Rochelle Farrell's brother, this huge, huge dude who introduced her He was constantly walking through the crowd, stopping people from taking photos, etc. Incredible show, by the way. Rochelle Farrell, uh, Jeff Lee Johnson on guitar, Byron Miller on bass, Phil Davis on keyboards and Little John Roberts on drums. It was one of the greatest shows I've ever been to. And I took two people who'd never heard of her and they came away just like, mind's blown. It was incredible. I taped the whole thing onto this SA-90. And... Her brother, Russ Barnes, is standing on, if you've ever been to the Jazz Cafe, you know that there's this sort of upper platform on which it overlooks the stage. So he was standing there looking down and he suddenly starts running downstairs to the people immediately in front of me. And now the little dictaphone I had had a red light and every so often I was so paranoid that with the jostling, you know, we were in the sort of front row and it's it's just freestanding, there are no seats. I was terrified that someone would jostle me and it would just snap the tape off. Mm. So I kept checking. I kept just like opening my pocket a little bit and looking, is the red light on? Yes, the red light's on. (laughs) Next thing I know, this dude is standing there. He's like six foot, like five, huge dude, wearing a waistcoat, no shirt, no vest, no nothing. And you know, this is like February. So he's, he's obviously very secure. He's standing there in front of us. And I hear him say, I'm like, what's going on? I don't know what's happening. And I hear him say to the people in front of me, I know I saw a red light. (laughs) (laughs) I know I saw it. I know I saw it. In the end, he dragged one of the guys out of there. And, you know, I guess that guy got ejected because he firmly believed that (laughs) that guy was taping the show. Now, maybe that guy was taping the show as well. Maybe he was. I don't know. So so at least that didn't happen to me. But the tragedy here is I lost that tape. Oh, my God. After all that. After all that. I Uh. might have it somewhere because there's one place... I know that I've always had it at the back of my mind, there's one place maybe I can check, but
4: Okay, yeah. we'll stop you from checking. <laughs> right.
1: I'm almost you know, now, cool. I'm almost now. scared. <laughs> we'll wait. I'm <laughs> almost scared to look. I don't right, I don't if it's want not it to did, be you're like, done. I don't want to have that finality, you know?
4: <laughs> okay. I was about to say, is a brother standing over the spot? <laughs> <laughs> <We'll> stop, <laughs> we'll is he still there? Is he still there? I'm <laughs> <laughs>
0: afraid he's going to pull it out and, and homie will be right there again. <laughs> I'm right. mad. I'm mad that he was like, "I know I saw a red light." Wow. Wow. For for Rochelle Pharrell. That's
4: her brother, though. I think. Not
0: to say she's not, you know, not all that, but damn. I think that was just so protective.
4: Wow. <laughs> I got. Yeah. Wow. Scoop, you want to go next? Uh, yeah, I know what Isaac's is. So I might as well go next. You know what mine is? Really? Oh yeah, I know what yours is. If, if whatever you got, I'm gonna tell you right now. Whatever you have down there is right. wrong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can't wait to hear this. Okay. Mm, let me tell
4: you right, right now. You're gonna think of it while I'm talking though. I'm gonna tell you that right now. Um, mine is very simple. Um, it's the 12 inch version of Herman Kelly's life Dance to the Drummer's Beat. Mm. One of the greatest records I had ever heard in my life when I was in high school. Hmm. It took me like it took me to get into college to find the twelve inch. And I finally got it, and um, I did everything. Isaac told me to do before I even met Isaac, keeping stuff in plastic. It was the only (laughs) 12-inch I ever had that was in plastic. I had crates and crates and records, but the only one was in plastic was this one. Um, And still to me, it's one of the the songs that is the foundation of hip-hop. I've never felt, I've never had a song impact me like this, and it took me time to find it. And all I can tell you is that I have no idea where it is. Mm -hmm. In the process of growing and moving, it just, it disappeared. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I and you can't find 12 inches anymore, dude. It's a wrap. You know what I'm saying? It's it's gone. I don't.
1: You can't even find it on gym nah, or something do. like that.
4: You know, I stop. I gave up trying to find. I guess I've gotten to the point I'm like I guess it's not for me to have. I'm you know. Uh. I may run across it one day, but um. How very zen of you? Huh? That's very zen of you. Yeah, I, you know, you got to grow up. Thank God you got YouTube. I can hear it. <laughs> you know, you can sound, clever. You can find the song. Cause if I couldn't hear the song, cause I don't have it on cassette or anything, just a full twelve inch version of that yeah. song. Nah. So that's mine.
2: All right, I'll go next.
0: I actually have I have scoops. I don't think that's it, but. To me, Scoop, your lost memorabilia is when Prince invited you to a concert and you said no and didn't nah. you said yeah and didn't didn't go. Nah, That's good. your lost piece. <laughs>
4: nah, I'm, good. I'm good. I'm good. I've seen him. It's not like I haven't seen him before. I mean, <laughs> he wasn't gonna pull me on stage. If he did, that'd have been a whole nother story.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I did miss out. <laughs> right. You don't know, you didn't um, go. Uh, you go. <laughs> okay, so mine I was I was 17 years old. It was a love, sexy it's a prince thing, right? So the whole thing, the whole thing happened when I I found out that I had that I had worked part time in a law office with the sister to Miko Weaver, Princess guitar player, who was touring with him. Dude was coming to Oakland, and she heard me, you know, talking about how I had tickets to this, to to the actual concert, but there was going to be another show, and I couldn't get into it because of this and that. And um, the next day, uh, she gives me this cassette and it's a TDK SA90 and in purple writing it says Prince The Black Album
0: ah i remember this and
2: nobody had the black album ah. 1988 was Ooh. it his handwriting it was in purple ink it, it didn't appear based on you know what little pictures right. i've seen <laughs> But um, the other side of it Was
4: purple spell correctly no <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well,
2: but on, the, on, on the other on the other side of the tape was a know. was a sound know. was a soundboard rehearsal of the, of a sign of the time show that oh, I wow. that I've never been able to find since. And I, I've got several sign of the time shows. Oh my god. Pristine quality. He wins Yeah <laughs>
4: He
2: wins You win I idea you that. You, you win. Win. No idea where it is You, you might win. have just taken
0: Scoop's place on a list Of Prince F-ups <laughs> <laughs> Yeah that's way no more
4: idea. <laughs> that, that may be way more
0: No
1: idea When did I don't you know realize You lost it what, what would be What would be worse If Arthur lost it Or if he recorded over it <laughs>
0: <laughs> Recording over it Recording over it Recording over yeah, it is Easily worse, easy, worse. No, no, <laughs> no No
4: No No I'll say this No Losing it because if somebody gets their hands on it, and next thing you know, releases it and making money off of it. Mm-hmm. At least recording over, you can't make any money off of it.
1: Yeah, but, but whoever, but, whoever has oh, but let someone else enjoy it. I think the just the sort of klutz factor of actually recording over it would be just unforgivable. You probably would
2: have jumped, jumped off a, a roof or something. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't even.
1: That's it. Because the thing was, when
2: when she gave it to me, the first thing that I well, the first thing I did was listen to it. But the second thing that I did was dub it. And put the tape in so the. You don't, you don't know, even we have the do. dub. Put the tape in the drawer. Oh, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, oh,
0: Jay, hold on. <laughs> so up. where's the dub? You lost two. You lost the dub too. Where's the recorded version? <laughs> that you- the dub. The
2: dub. I you used, went twice. Oh, I, the dub was what I used to. The, basically, the du- the dub was what I used to bribe the guy at Ticketmaster to sell. Oh, you handed tickets. it to
0: him. You gave it to him. Yeah,
2: there's a whole thing to it. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I gave right. it. To I thought you
0: lost both of them. I'm gonna say. But you-
2: I'm saying, you know, you're talking about recording over it. Not, you know, I popped. the tabs yeah, and all this yes, other I kind we, we, you know I secured it down yeah I got no idea where it is do you remember at what point that you lost that
0: you mid-90s. knew you lost it mid-90s so you just went looking for it one
2: day
1: yeah it came up missing you didn't have like a safe or special place safe
2: safe deposit
1: box <laughs> see the audience doesn't know this but Arthur has a room and it's like draped in purple silk and all the print stuff is in there. <laughs> and you can't talk in that room unless you communicate using print speak. So you have to say like the number two, the number four, the letter U. You can't say T-W-O. And how's Arthur going to know if you're saying T-W-O or the number two? Arthur knows. <laughs>
0: Hilarious.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but to be honest with you, Miss stuff, you, as you get older... As other people come into your lives, kids, wives, you know, all of a sudden, in the transfer, it's like telling somebody a secret on one side of the room by the time it gets to the other, it's changed. And all this moving, all this adjusting, all stuff this coming stuff, yeah, stuff's gonna wind up just missing.
0: You know what the Jahan's crib? Jahan will like disappear and come back from I don't know what room with like some tape. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. he'll be like, let me go get so-and-so. And I'll be like, where did you just go? So he does have a secret. Like that room he described. Yeah. He has, I've never seen it, but yeah. it's apparently behind a bookcase or
4: something. No kids,
0: no white. <laughs> right. <laughs> right.
4: <laughs> That's how you want you you want to keep your stuff sacred? Don't do those two things. <laughs>
0: hilarious mine is not very okay you go you go then mine is very it's posters for one thing it's not a it's not an actual that's album. fine
2: that's fine mm. when i was Damn. at
0: my freshman year at ohio state i don't know if it's like this anymore but on college campuses back then you could get the dopest posters yeah you could. easily it yeah. was like you could yeah. walk out to the to the square and it'd be like somebody selling dope posters so i think my first week at ohio state i, I think it was at the record store right across the street from the from the campus uh singing dog records went in there and they had a Prince poster, which was the, I wanna say it was, um, it might have been Love Sexy era. It was from, I think it was from a, uh, uh, the tour. It was a black and white poster, it was a huge poster. Mm-hmm. And he had the like the policeman's hat on, but it had the love symbol on the policeman's hat. Mm-hmm. And he had his fingers like this at his mm-hmm. lips. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had the big sunglasses mm-hmm. on. You with know what I'm crazy, talking about, Jay?
4: With that crazy mm-hmm. thinned yeah, out mustache. I do, I do. Did he have yeah, yeah, it? Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And it was, it was just his face. It was a huge black and white poster. I bought that on the, the same place I found the Public Enemy poster. Black and white, same size. Chuck, they're all Chuck, Flav, Griff, SW1s on this bridge. Yeah. But it's a yeah. close up. Yeah, and they're yeah, kind of right. like this. Exactly. Yeah. And there's all, this heavy exactly. and yeah. there's all that head from the that, the that negative space. That one was huge, black and white, same size. Mm-hmm. You walked in my dorm room, on one side was Prince, on one side was Public. And it was the perfect dichotomy of me, you know, at that mm-hmm. period of time. Mm-hmm. I have no. left <laughs> <laughs> right, Now. <laughs> I left. Uh, Ohio State, when I moved to Atlanta, thought I had brought those posters with me and realized I had no idea where they were and have never... I I, I don't know what happened because I'm like, there's no place I went search, you know, parents' house every. I have no idea what happened to those posters. And those were like Travis Scott. <laughs> <God. laughs> right there, this right now. Travis had his Go face. in his basement. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Framed up. Right. His children nice. coloring in. <laughs> <laughs> All nice and framed. So yeah, that's 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 my one piece. I also had an Apollonia poster when I, when I was a kid with her uh, remember the cheetah print mm-hmm. on the
4: yeah, yeah. lost that too. <laughs> you know what you know what yours really is? What is it? Jahan wait for this response. Your E40 album.
0: <laughs> you motherfucker. <laughs> I let this dude. Didn't wow. E40 give me that album? I think he might have handed it to me. Wow. <laughs> and I gave it to Scoop. You denied it for like a long time. Are you admitting it now? No, I'm not admitting it. Come I don't, on, you don't man. know. <laughs> not, you know just, Arthur, back me up. Do I lose track of my stuff, man? No, come on, man. No. E40 gives me an album because that's when I did that story on them for Double XL. And I handed it to you. I (laughs) assigned you. Yeah, you assigned me, but that don't make up for it.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I was trying. (laughs) Gave
0: my man the album, and then it comes up missing, and he like, not only, it'd be bad enough, he's like, man, I misplaced it. He still denies even having it.
4: I don't remember me. I'm, I don't. But wait, (laughs) I thought that's what he was going to bring up.
0: I forgot all you see, I forgot all about it. You brought it up. Now I it's gonna be another 10 years before when, when I forget I, about when it. When
4: I looked at this question, I said, Oh, Isaac is about the I know what Isaac <laughs> gonna say. Matter of fact, he's can go- you bring it to this recording, Scoop? <laughs> <laughs> I knew he's gonna come with that. The so, funniest
0: thing though is when uh it was shortly after that, I borrowed uh Comments. What's the album where he went kind of wild on the uh the Electric? Electric yeah, Circus Electric Circus. Yeah. <laughs> I borrowed that from Scoop, brought yeah. it back. No, I, I was going to get it from him. I borrowed it from him. And I'm walking out the house. I'm like, all right, I'm going to peep this and bring it back. Scoop leaves out the door. I'm halfway down the street. This dude screams, don't peep it. Keep, keep it.
1: it. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
2: This has been episode 27 of The Music Snobs. Find us online at themusicsnobs.com. We have our show library at soundcloud.com slash snobs. Twitter handle, Total Music Snobs. We have our In The Mix series at mixcloud.com slash snobs featuring mixes by Jahan, myself, Uh, DJ Ali Al and Mr. Monotone is going to give us a mix as well Thank you